This is episode 331 of the Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase is going to take a look at Netflix's Midnight Mass and its creator, Mike Flanagan's entire filmography. This is going to be a good one. This episode starts right now. What is going on, everybody? And welcome to episode 331 of the Real Me and Colin, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Chase Lee. And uh, welcome back, everyone. I know it's been quite a while since the last episode, but thank you for joining me on this one and just being patient with me as I try to figure out how to do these on a consistent basis. Uh, But I was busy uh, at at work and everything, so this is where we're at. Um, So uh, before we begin the episode, uh, if you guys could uh, share this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to, that would be much appreciated. So uh, yeah, uh, since it has been a while, um, how are you guys doing? You guys doing pretty well? Uh, it is the month of October. We have reached a new month. I think the last episode I did, like a full-on podcast episode, was the Shang-Chi episode. Um, that was at the beginning of September, so it's been it's been a hot minute, you know. Um, but it is the month of October, and there is a lot of stuff I'm catching up on. So I figured I'd give you guys a couple episodes back-to-back. You know, it, it's Halloween season, so spooky movie time and all that stuff. And so I'll reveal... Uh, what episode 332 is at the end of this uh, episode. But for right now, uh, for episode 331, uh, I will be going over Mike Flanagan's career. Uh, He has had a very, very good career so far in movies and television. And I just wanted to kind of discuss that with you. And just, I guess this is just more of an awareness podcast uh, as well as a review. Because I do really think Mike Flanagan is... Uh, a one-of-a-kind. He's really great at his craft. He knows how to do every single aspect of filmmaking, uh, and he does it to the fullest potential, and he knows just how to craft a really great story. And so I really wanted to just bring that to you guys' attention. If there are some things that you have not seen from him, maybe I could convince you to do that, uh, especially this Halloween season since his um, his genre go-to is is horror and drama, um, but definitely it fits the, the Halloween season. Go over Mike uh, Flanagan's career, and then I will have my review of Midnight Mass. It's his newest uh, miniseries uh, on on Netflix. Uh, I guess it's his only miniseries because uh, Haunting of Hill House was a two season um, or is a two season type of show so far. So uh, his first miniseries, and uh, yeah, that will be the review. But um, yeah, before we get into Mike Flanagan's uh, kind of career and everything, and just like my experience with him and just like how I think he's deeply underrated. Um, and I really do think there's one specific movie that kind of tanked him. Um, and that's, you know, it it is what it is, but you know, I, I really hope the best for him, but yeah, before we get into all of that, um, yeah, I just wanted to just give you guys kind of an honest update of what's been going on, you know, for the past couple weeks, I've just been busy at work and, you know, I come home and, you know, there wasn't that many screenings to go to. And then once I did get flooded with screenings to go to, uh, I had to have a work trip uh, down in Houston. And so I was gone for four days. And in that time, I was offered to go see Lamb and uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Um, so that kind of sucks. But I'm actually seeing both of those here relatively soon. So you guys will get reviews of those. Um, but, you know, it, it was just one of those uh, situations where... I was ready to get back into movies and stuff, and you know there wasn't really that many things coming my way in terms of um, 
reviews to do and the time allotted. And then once I had the time, it just I just got flooded with work. So it that's just the way life goes uh, sometimes. And you know, I just have to kind of roll with it. And who who knows it, when I will get back to a normal schedule for this show. Who knows when Joel will come back and do these with me. What I can tell you, and what I really do appreciate from you guys, is patience and just bearing with me until we can kind of navigate some type of normalcy. You know, before the pandemic started, like Joel and I didn't know what to do. And I remember this like it was yesterday. Uh, it was the hunt episode, and we didn't know what was going to go on. And that was a, a year and a half ago. And yes, we've had many reviews and we've had episodes with us uh, since then and all that stuff. And, you know, Joel's getting uh, progressively busier at um, the site that he writes for, uh, Spectrum Culture. And, you know, he, he's got some big things happening over there. So who knows when he's going to actually be back and who knows when we're going to do stuff together. Who knows when a podcast is going to come out every single week. But um, what I can tell you is that I'm trying my best. And whenever an episode comes out, I get super excited to do it. When I have the time to do it, I really love doing this for you all. So I really hope you're enjoying them, even though there's gaps in between the schedule. Um, but I will continue to have mini reviews um, throughout the entire Oscar season. I'm assuming I'm going to get uh, several kind of catch up days where I can like, you know, watch a bunch of these, you know, festival darlings that are happening right now and all that stuff. So it's Oscar season. So you guys know that there's gonna be a lot more content. Um, and I'm really excited for that. And, you know, there's going to be more podcast episodes because I don't want to just have the mini stuff for you guys. I want to have like full on conversations, you know, and like 45 minutes to an hour's worth of conversation that way uh, there's a little bit more substance there for you and so yeah I'm excited there's a lot of great things coming up uh, a lot of big blockbusters there I'm excited about with like Dune and Eternals and Spider-Man um, No Way Home Matrix Resurrections uh, and then there's a bunch of smaller ones uh, French Dispatch uh, Come On Come On um, Red Rocket I mean there there's so many great things that are happening uh, between now and the end of the year that just gets me jazzed up because it, it just means more content for you guys so um just I, I really do appreciate the support from every single one of you uh they're listening all over the world um you guys are the best so that is what's been going on with me just uh give you my honest take on it so yeah so now that we've got that out of the way let's jump into mike flanagan now, Mike Flanagan, to me, I, I, I've i really enjoyed this man. I've enjoyed seeing him uh, progress in his career. He is just, I, I believe, one of the best in the industry right now. He really is, and he's unheard of. If you mention Mike Flanagan to any commoner uh, or you know stranger on the street, they have no idea what the heck you're talking about. They're like, I don't know who that is. Um, if you go... Oh, it's the creator of The Haunting of Hill House. I'll guarantee you that is what is going to um, get people to recognize him now, which is not a bad thing. I'm glad that finally people are recognizing him. But he's always been around, and I had been a fan of him for many, many, many years, and I had no idea how far he could go 
with um, his projects, and it's just it's been a delight to see. And unfortunately, I do think there is one movie that has tanked him so far to, I guess, make studios hesitant on giving him money and free range to do projects, but he's killing it on the streaming game with Netflix and stuff. So, you know, he'll find his footing, but I do believe he has the potential to be as big as like a, like a James Wan, where you mentioned James Wan, you're like Insidious, Saw, The Conjuring. He's got so many iconic, uh, like titles under his belt, people know who James Wan is. I think Mike Flanagan is actually, I think he's like a perfect example of like a mix of two two directors I, I, I really appreciate. James Wan, who's really great at crafting um, commercially, commercial-friendly entertainment, where like the masses will enjoy the heck out of his movies. They're super entertaining, right? And they're traditionally stripped down with like a haunted house feel. And then you have directors like Ari Aster, who I believe is also an up-and-coming director that does a little bit more thought-provoking horror um, with like Midsommar and and Hereditary. You know, Hereditary is really putting through the forefront of like, uh, you know, loss and and. Uh, uh, isolation, loneliness, you know, Midsommar is really putting forward grief uh, quite a bit, but it's done in also in kind of an entertaining way, but um, there's a lot more to it. I think Mike Flanagan is, I think that's the best way to describe him is that he's like a mix of both where he can create something like a Hill House and everyone loves it, but you really get to the nitty gritty of that thing. That thing is a uh, eight hour series on processing grief um, through uh, uh, generations of family. And so uh, it, it's just really, really just rich stuff and, and thematically rich um, with human emotion, and that's what he's best at. And so I have really just enjoyed seeing him kind of advance to the next level with like these series and then doing something for Warner Brothers with Dr. Sleep and um, continuing to work with Netflix and all this stuff, he's just been an absolute delight. And so I want to kind of go back all the way to 2013 because this is where I was introduced to him first. But I, I, will, I will say as a side note, I didn't know he did this movie until after... Uh, I saw his second movie and then I went back to Oculus and saw that his name was in the credits and then I was like, okay, he made a movie without even me knowing who he was and it blew my mind. So now that uh, I know it's him, like that totally makes sense. So what am I talking about? In 2013, there was a film called Oculus. I don't know if you guys uh, remember that one. It was almost... Oh, geez, it's almost nine years ago at this point. Um, it is about a woman that tries to exonerate her brother who was convicted of murder by proving that the crime was committed by a supernatural phenomenon. Really creepy stuff, really effective. Just a fun little kind of um, pun intended, like house and mirrors, haunted house and mirrors uh, type of um, uh, movie. It was a real, real joy. Um, and so that one was just a, a flat-out great horror film. 
The first one I ever watched where I was blown away and kind of like did research on him was Hush. Um, this one where I was also introduced to his wife, uh, Kate Siegel, who's in the majority of his projects. Uh, Hush is about a deaf and mute writer who retreated into the woods to live a solid, solitary life. Uh, and she must fight for her life in silence when a mass killer appears at her window. Perfect. It's a perfect exercise in utilizing sound design and in terror and really making that effective. Um, kind, of, kind of the way, uh, you know, A Quiet Place does it, where they utilize um, sound design as like it, its main main push to tell the story and also to create the atmosphere. Hush is the same way. And it was, once again, just claustrophobic. It was terrifying. It was such a great delight in the horror genre. I was like, okay, this guy, he, he, he means business. And so um, that's when I started doing research into Mike Flanagan. So he was two for two at this point. The next one that I saw, I, mean, I don't know if, if people remember this one, but I was super excited for it because it came out the same year as Hush show. So he had a, a great back-to-back. Uh, Before I Wake, um, this one is about a couple that adopts an orphaned child who dreams and nightmares manifest physically as he sleeps. Uh, really kind of get into some fantasy, uh, supernatural, more trippy stuff than we've seen before. Uh, but once again, he kind of handles it beautifully. Um, dealing a lot with the family drama and, you know... Um, having this child feel alone in the world and being adopted and, you know, having the parents adjust to this, this change in their life. It just, it it was something that kind of, um, really, really touched me. It was like the first time that really, I I felt that kind of personal touch to a Mike Flanagan film. And I was like, okay, he's going somewhere. Like he, he's getting better. He's like, he's, he's growing, he's maturing. Like he's understanding, how to do these uh, better and better. And I just, I, I love it. So after that one, believe it or not, Mike Flanagan directed the Ouija sequel. Ouija Origin of Evil. Um, I actually like it. It's weird because like I saw it in theaters. I didn't see the first one, but I wanted to see the second one because his name was attached to it. It is so much better. um it's like a completely different movie and so it really has the same feel as like the conjuring films and if you wouldn't have known better it looks like something james wan would have directed but um he has influences uh they both have influences of each other so that makes sense um it's one of the better video or not video game at uh board game uh movies ever made and that's a very small group but um it's it's quite effective. It's not like mind blowing, um, like some of his other projects, but it's still a good effort to course correct the franchise back on track. So he did Ouija Origin of Evil, and then this is where he starts dipping into the Stephen King um, stuff, and he did Gerald's Game. Uh, Gerald's Game stars uh, Carlo Gugino. Uh, Gugino. She's a, a regular. Uh, she pops up in uh, Bly Manor and Hill House. But this one is based on a Stephen King novel. A couple tries to spice up their marriage in a remote lake house. 
After the husband dies unexpectedly, the wife is left handcuffed to their bed frame and must fight to survive and break free. Uh, Also, this is uh, a great kind of example of just like isolation and playing of the mind and it's more psychologically uh, charged than most of his films. It's a really great solo performance from Carla because she um, pretty much carries this movie. Uh, Bruce Greenwood is in it. But um, as you heard from the plot, he unexpectedly dies. So it is mainly on her in flashbacks. But she is is absolutely electric in this role. And I, I really like this. It actually prompted me to want to go get the book. I don't even like to read. Um, I, I don't even remember the last time I read a full book. But like that made me want to go buy it. I found it at a pawn store for like $2. And I made it like, I think, four or five chapters in. Uh, I need to find it and finish it. But... Um, it made me want to read, so look at the influence Mike is having in my life. But Gerald's Game, a great Stephen King adaptation. And then we get to, and I still I still stand by my words uh, when I said this uh, when I finished Hill House, but Haunting a Hill House was next. This was a phenomenon. Like, this is the thing that shot Mike Flanagan into the stratosphere. Everyone was talking about this series. Um, and I said this at the end of the series and I still stand by it. This is his magnum opus. This is the, the peak of Mike Flanagan. This is what he's been working up to is this point where he made a series that was so beloved. It was, it was really, uh, loved by everyone in the horror community, everyone in the drama community like like people were just loving the series and i absolutely adore this show and i i when we get to blind manor we'll talk about it but um hill house is is fantastic and it is the the peak of his career it's the best thing he's ever made i don't know if he'll ever touch it i i don't know when you hear my midnight mass review it might be pretty close to it but uh, Hill House, I think, is is the show that has defined his career, and it's the show that people will remember him by, um, unless he can top it. But it was an absolute sensation when it came out, and it's still talked about to this day. I mean, because they use it with all the marketing and stuff they have for uh, all of his other projects. So after Hill House came, I would argue, his first big movie um, by a major studio full backing behind it it i think it costs uh, i think it was like 50 mil 60 mil maybe even 100 million it was massive it was dr sleep it is the sequel to the shining um there's also a director's cut to it so he went full on out with this one this was like his first test into the mainstream um but this one is following the events of the shining a now adult dan uh, Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. I'm gonna be completely honest with you guys. When I first saw this, I didn't really care for it. I thought it was I thought it was okay to good. Like it was kind of like in that gray zone for me. I need to rewatch it, and I need to. Watch it with the mindset of, yes, this is a sequel to The Shining, but it, it's its own standalone thing. 
And so if I take the kind of like shining element away from it and think of it as its own separate thing, I might have a better reaction to it. And I want to give it another shot. I really, really do. And I want to watch the director's cut. But I got to be honest with you, when I first saw this, I was a little taken back on how neutral I was on it. And I'm like, man, it's like the first Mike Flanagan thing that I was kind of subpar on. So it's his second Stephen King adaptation. So I, I really hope he makes another one, you know, based on this. And um, Gerald's Game, he's really great at adaptations. Um, but I, I need to rewatch this for sure. So Dr. Sleep was, was next. The next one um, is The Haunting of Bly Manor. And he did not uh, direct all of these, I believe. Um, but he is the creator for it. And, you know, a lot of the characters from Hill House come back and they play different roles. I still liked it. You know, the first one is about the process of grief and how it travels through generations of families. This is a love story. It's a romance, um, very gothic romance, but I still enjoyed it. Different take on the the haunting series. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I, I don't know why people don't like this one. Um, but, hey, teach his own. And then we finally get the Midnight Mass, where when I first saw the trailer for it, I uh, was super curious about it because I am, to be full, fully transparent with you guys, I'm not really religious. So, you know, to watch anything that is based on religion or has religious undertones, I'm always curious about them. Like, I, I, I will always um, give them a shot because I, I want to see people's perspective on it. And, you know... From the trailers, it also looked like it, it might have been the most personal thing that Mike Flanagan has ever done. It looks like he, he was going to tap into you know some real inner stuff that was kind of been floating around him for, for quite some time. So after the trailer, I was, I was on board, super excited. So um, when we come back from the break, um, I will be going over Midnight Mass. Uh, it should be a very fun conversation. Um the whole show is depressing, but the I try to make the conversation fun. Um, but yes, uh, when we come back, uh, Midnight Mass, I will go over that. And then uh, I will go over um, uh, next week's show. So stay tuned. And welcome back to episode 331 of the Real Man Colon Movie Podcast. Uh, we just talked about Mike Flanagan, so now let's talk about his newest thing that has hit Netflix, Midnight Mass. Now, Midnight Mass is a Netflix series that is um, created and uh, directed and co-written by Mike Flanagan. And Mike Flanagan has brought us, you know, classics like The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor. Yes, I, I think that one is just as good as Hill House. Um, he's also brought us movies like Dr. Sleep and Hush and Gerald's Game. The guy is prolific, and I really just wanted to talk about this one because this was his latest piece, and I respect him a lot as a filmmaker. So what is Midnight Mass? It is a seven-part miniseries, and it's about an isolated island community that experiences miraculous events and frightening omens after the arrival of a charismatic and mysterious young priest. Uh, so dipping into more of a religious undertone uh than he normally does uh you know with hill house and bly manor you're dealing a lot with like grief and loss and love and you know the strength of love and that bond this is taking a completely different direction and now we're focusing more on the effects 
that religion can have on some people and just how far people can take it into extreme levels and, you know, the good it can bring, the bad it can bring, just everything about it and just really kind of explore it with, you know, um, a group of well-rounded characters and a community that really feels lived in. That's what he does best. Midnight Mass is no exception. So anyways, uh, this is a very good series uh, with all the people complaining about it being too slow or having too many monologues. I don't really get that. I found all the monologues to be riveting because I am a huge fan of when people uh, have conversations with me about life and death and just the the questions that we all have as humans. That stuff is fascinating to me. And so hearing fictional characters talk about it, that's right on my alley. So I realize that it's not for everyone, but this is the type of stuff I really enjoy. And it's completely different than Hill House. So if that's what you were expecting, don't expect that going in. Um, as Mike Flanagan always does, he uses drama in the forefront and horror in the background. That's that's what it is. Uh, and this one is a little bit more um, stripped than that because it's not as horrific as like a Hill House. Um, it's more, you know, fantasy kind of fable approach to it. But there's still some horror elements, but it's mainly about the characters, what they're going through, and the questions they're pondering through their mind about life, death, and religion. That is why... I love this show. Jumping into uh, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan to me is the perfect example of like a tour de force where he knows how to write dialogue. He knows how to craft scenes. He knows how to bring the best performances out of his actors. He knows how to create atmosphere, tension, suspense, drama. He makes us care about his characters. He's really great at setting up shots and setting up reveals and not revealing too much with some of the, the scares and it's just... The way he frames stuff is just, it's its very its very unique. It's very him. You know, the music is always, um, you know, emotional or just intense. And it really fits the scene really well. He just knows how to do everything. He is so great at the craft of filmmaking. It, it boggles my mind that he's not at that level yet. Because he can actually uh, create commercially friendly things like a Hill House. And people really love it. But there's a lot going on underneath to where it's not just some shallow, um, it's not some shallow uh, piece of entertainment with not a lot to say. Those are fine every once in a while, but he really knows how to to really make it a worthwhile experience and have a lot of depth to it and not be this surface level story. He really wants to get in there and explore some stuff. This one is more of a religious experience where we have several characters that are religious, some of them are that are not, um, but they all question um, what is beyond this life. They all want to know what happens after death. And, you know, not only is that theme very present in this movie, but we also have, you know, people taking religion to the extremes and showing us how bad it can get if, if it's in the wrong hands and people take advantage of it. We also see it when it's actually used for good and people use the good word of the Lord and like make sure everyone else knows about that and just like the, the positivity about it. So it's got it's got both. And it's got a really cool, you know, fable along with it with the um, you know, this angel of death or this demon that um, you know, kind of uh is looming over the whole whole story. Uh, I won't say too much, I don't want to get into it uh for you know, spoilers just in case that people haven't watched it. But yeah, I, I think uh, what I said I like the most is just the the exploration of the themes 
that Mike Flanagan um, has the characters discuss and have us listen to. Yes, there's a lot of monologues, but I think all of them are poignant. I think all of them are substantial, but it's very, I guess, more vulnerable from Mike Flanagan that we've ever seen before. Um, he's not any stranger to doing this type of stuff, but I really thought that there was some real inner stuff, his own personal stuff that he was really tapping into and we really got to see it displayed on screen. So the uh, the emotional intensity, the, the horrific atmosphere that he crafts around it, um, just the, the sense of the town and the characters and they're, they're all so well written and it just feels lively. You feel like you're there. It's just everything about this. Mike Flanagan is the hero. He always will be with all of his projects until I see something bad from him. This is just another uh, great thing from him. The performances are top notch. Everyone's got their own sense of, of, of their character. Everyone stands out. No one's hogging screen time. It's all dispersed evenly and everyone makes an impact. There is no wasted performance. There's no like side performance that's like, oh, they did okay or whatever. It's like, no, everyone is on point. You know, Mike Flanagan always casts uh, his wife, uh, Kate Siegel. And you know what? Not a fan of like nepotism and stuff, but keep casting her in all your stuff, Mike. She's fantastic in everything that she's in. Even back to when I saw Hush. A long time ago, I was blown away by her, and I was like, wow, I really hope she's in more stuff, and I'm really glad that you two have a, a wonderful working relationship, because it really shows, and you you push her to her brink sometimes, and she is just the the, the soul, the light, the heart of this entire uh, series, and she's just absolutely a delight. Uh, Zach Guilford is also kind of one of the, the main leads, um, he and uh, Kate Siegel's character, they kind of have the most conversation uh, throughout the series, and he's also a character that is flawed, someone that wants to redeem himself and really kind of get back into society after this tragic accident that he has at the beginning of the series. You feel for the guy, and you really want him to get better, but then there's a lot of people that keep pushing him down, um, you know, saying that, you know, God wouldn't allow this and all that stuff. It's like, he... He took that role and also ran with it. A lot of great people in this cast. Uh, a lot. There's too many to mention. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the characters from Hill House and Bly Manor and other Mike Flanagan regulars, they also pop up in this. So they're also really great. I like what he's doing here and taking actors that he's worked with in different universes, having them come in, do a completely different story, completely different world. And that's awesome. I, I love that stuff. And it, it also shows that they have a great working relationship with, with him. And that means that Mike Flanagan must be one of the best ones around because it, it is hard to kind of keep a relationship with multiple people like that if they didn't think that you were doing like some great work. So, but um, other ones that I thought stood out uh, performance wise, um, Samantha Sloyan, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Holy crap. She is the quote unquote villain in this thing. The whole time, like, you hate her. Like, there, there's just, like, there's no redemption. There's no nothing. And at the end, you're like, I hope she gets, like, what's coming to her. And, like, she's just so just gross as a character. She is so evil and conniving. You just want to reach through the screen and be like, stop it, please. And she's just that good at convincing you that she's that terrible. And so, uh, Samantha over here, stand out to me. Uh, I, I really enjoyed her character. And then another one that I uh, found to be really uh, compelling was uh, Raul uh, Coley. 
um, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he plays the sheriff in the town. And at first you, you might think like, oh, he's just like some normal sheriff. But like, once you get to know him and understand, understand like why he moved to that island with his son and, you know, kind of some of the religious hesitations they have because, uh, they do not preach Christianity. And like, he's trying to teach his son that, but his son wants to be a Christian, just all that stuff. It's just, and, and just knowing their backstory and how sad it is and, just the performance that he gives, it's just so, it's so strong and just so, uh, um, you know, forward and like there's a wall there and like you want to see someone break it down so that emotional barrier can be released and he can be kind of, kind of, uh, kind of free of all of his demons. Like it, it was just a fantastic, well-rounded performance uh, from him. And then of course, uh, everyone, the one that everyone's talking about, um, is the priest uh, so let me get his uh, name here, uh, Hamish Linklater. Um, listen, it's really hard to be that commanding on screen and be convincing as like a leader and like uh, a priest delivering all this dialogue. Like you have to be at your A game. I've never heard of this guy. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. If I have, never stood out. Well, guess what? Uh, he has stood out to me now and he, he is an absolute delight. Um, he's terrifying, but also you understand where he's coming from. Once everything is kind of like revealed, uh, towards the very end, he really sold it because that makes him a really well-rounded character. And I, uh, I had conflicting feelings about him the whole time, but he, uh, with that performance was able to convince me of doing that. So good job on that. Um, it's also shot really well. I, I love the, the sense of isolation and the sense of um, loneliness that this island has because it also is prime for those horror-type scenes to happen where there's always something lurking in the background, but you have no idea where it's at. And the scary thing is there's not a lot of places to go because this is an abandoned island. Not abandoned, but like, you know, it's it's kind of cut off from the rest of the world for a little bit. Um, and so creating that kind of tension and atmosphere with uh, this setting, it lended itself to just some amazing cinematography and the thing is with Mike Flanagan he's kind of like James Wan in the way where he is really great at framing and reveals and lighting and just making uh, certain jump scares feel unsettling but not like a jolt of you know loud music or this and that like he just has it there and like you can kind of see it kind of not and like your your mind is playing tricks on you that is where his uh, horror elements come into play. And they're absolutely effective, just like they were in Hill House, just like they were in Bly Manor. Um, but like I said, he takes more of a backseat, even more of a backseat approach because, you know, Mike Flanagan always uses drama uh, ahead of horror, always. Horror is just a backdrop. But even with this one, I would say the horror elements are even, even more so in the backseat. And this is more of a you know, very, it's very dialogue heavy. It's very char character oriented with conversations and really just kind of letting them speak their mind. And, and we get to hear that kind of their viewpoints on life and death and religion. And I don't know, I just find that stuff uh, always fascinating to listen to. So, you know, I, I realize that it's not for everyone, but this one was definitely for me. If you have not checked out Midnight Mass, it is on Netflix. All seven episodes are available please watch it, especially for this Halloween season. That's why I wanted to do this review. It is the month of October, and I think this is a perfect little um, 
Halloween treat if you are looking for something to watch. Let me know down below what you thought of Midnight Mass. And that will do it for my review of Midnight Mass and just talking about Mike Flanagan in general. And I really hope if there's some movies on that um, his filmography that you haven't seen, please let me know um, down below what you what you think of them. Like, you know, maybe you will watch some of them. I, I'm really hoping to kind of just put this man on a pedestal because I think he has really just worked hard over the years and he's created some really memorable um, experiences. So I just wanted to kind of go over all that and, of course, Midnight Mass. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Next week is episode 332 and i figured hey still october still the halloween season let's talk about some horror films more specifically let's talk about movies that i missed in reviewing for you guys this year so next week i will be going over malignant uh speaking of james wan uh that film i will be going over Candyman, the 2021 uh, version of it that came out uh, a few months ago, but my wife and I just now saw it. And then Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Now, that doesn't really, it doesn't count as a horror film. Horror comedy. Let's just say horror comedy. <laughs> so, um, but I still want to lump it in there. Uh, so you guys will get three reviews next week and a, a big old episode. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. But hopefully you enjoyed this episode, episode 331. I am Chase. I hope you guys had a great time listening. I hope you guys have a great day or night. Um, you know, please spread this episode around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. You guys are the best. Thank you for your patience. And uh, I will see you guys next week for uh, another episode of Real Me and Colon, a movie podcast. Goodbye.